Zach, you almost looked awake up there. That was weird. But. So this morning, we are jumping into the second week, really the first big week, though, of this sermon series called Lord of Blank. Lord of Blank. And then last week, really, the sermon was an intro of sorts to what this, a framework for what this whole series is all about. And last week, we talked about how this idea, this statement that Jesus is Lord of all is one of the simplest, most basic, it is the most basic truth and confession of the Christian faith, and yet it is one of the most widespread, most difficult to live out truths of the Christian faith, because when we realize that Jesus is Lord of all, all does not have an asterisk next to it, all does not have, you know, everything but this or that, it's, it's all, it's everything, Every part of our life, every relationship, every resource, every everything. And so this morning, um, and then going into the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about certain areas of our lives that, quite frankly, I've noticed, this is, did no studies for this, I just kind of anecdotally looked at the world and my own life, and then assumed that you guys might be similar to me in some ways, and then that, you know, I could kind of look from conversations I've had, and just areas that we are not so willing to give up control to the God who we say is Lord of all, but we kind of like to go, you can be Lord of all but this. You can be all Lord of all but that idea. And we're going to look at a few of those different areas. And so I'm going to be honest with you up front, the next few weeks may be kind of squirmy at times, all right? Um, because they kind of touches on some things that, quite frankly, if you want to try to keep people in the pew, you're told as a pastor not to preach on um, to do that because they just kind of tend to, they're, they're tough. They're tough for us to give up the handles of our lives to them. And so it's hard for us to do that. And so this morning, we're going to jump into an area that it was really good we had pastor appreciation before this because after you talk about people's resources, they don't want to appreciate you very much at that point in time. Um, and so we're going to talk about what it might mean, though, or look like to realize that God is not just Lord of all, but inside of that, he is Lord of resources. All sorts of types of resources. As I've talked with many of you, as I've dealt with my own life, I'll tell you what, the 20s are a weird time where resources go from being absolutely non-existent to all of a sudden you've got a job and more than you could deal with and you got a mortgage and kids and you're like, ah, I'm poor again. Um, and, and you guys, this is like this roller coaster of resource situations. I know in my own life, this is hard. This is one of the hardest areas. Resources, wealth, money, stuff in all of its different forms and fashions they just tend to be some of the biggest areas of temptations to erect an idol, to not give up control in our lives over to a God who we say is Lord of all things in our lives. This is hard for us. In fact, it's so hard for us that the number one leading cause of divorce in the U.S. is financial issues, financial disagreements, unwillingness to come to some sort of a, a, a conclusion together on what we should do with our finances and instead kind of hating each other or not liking each other because, well, you do this, you shop too much, well, you got too many toys, you have this many, and it just starts to degrade into really toxic situations. This is why in our world, financial advising and financial planning are big, big, big business. And it's a business that grows year after year after year after year. If we can't figure out how to control it, then we'll pay somebody else to control it for us and figure out the way forward with our stuff. 
And not only that, but inside of the church, we even have this thing called Christian financial advising. Ever heard of Dave Ramsey or financial peace or all these other different things? Christian financial advising and planning, which, by the way, is also big money um, and big industry for those folks. Um, They're doing very well off the Christian financial planning ideas. And so while I am sure that they all mean well, while I'm sure that they have a lot of good stuff to share, I know they do, actually, uh, I always surprise our finance committee every year that we do our, our budget stuff and we have our meetings that they're talking about investment things, this and all that stuff, that. And someone starts to try to like remind me like what a certain term is and I start to chuckle. I'm like, I, I'm a business and economics major, actually. Um, I understood every word you guys said um, <laughs> um, pretty well. But I, they mean well. There's a lot of good principles that are in some of this stuff. But our question this morning is not, what does Dave Ramsey say to do with your money? Our question this morning is not what is your favorite economic pundit on MSNBC or some other channel, Bloomberg Television, or some other channel say is the best thing to do with our money. And that today is really not about, I'm not going to tell you what you should do with your money at all. And I'm certainly, disclaimer up front, not going to tell you that you should give more money to the church. This is not a fundraising drive at all, all right? Not in any way, shape, or form, all right? Our church is good. Don't stop giving, but it's good. We're good, all right? All right? We're in a good, we're, we're fine. I'm not worried about that at all. This is not about what you should or should not do with your money. This is about where are we giving lordship to Jesus and where are we kind of not giving it up there? The question here is, Really, what would it look like to take the stuff of our lives, the resources, which includes the money and the wealth and the yada, 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 but also just the stuff we have? What would it look like to live out our lives in such a way that our resources become an expression of the confession, Jesus is Lord? In other words, maybe said a little differently, what would it look like to have our resources be an expression of God's kingdom at work in our world. And so these two passages of scripture, thank you, Bonnie and Zach, for sharing them. Um, I didn't want to bore you during my sermon with a bunch of bunch of scripture, so I decided to do it before the sermon. That way you'd be happy that I came up and preached. Um, but th- these two passages, I think, give us a really good framework to help understand this. Before I head into it, though, let me tell you, I don't have all the answers on this. I more have just some questions and things for us to ponder together on this. And I'm going to tell you that if you look at my bank account and my world, I struggle with this just as much as the next person does. So no one's sitting here saying that I got this together. It's saying we're in this boat together, all right? In this Matthew passage, Jesus starts right off and he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not steal and where thieves do not break in and steal. Right from the beginning of this passage, folks, let me tell you that what Jesus is talking about here flies in the face of most financial advising that you're going to get anywhere out in our world. It just does. Right off the bat, Jesus is telling us that your stuff in your life maybe is supposed to look a little bit different than just investing in the things of this world. Not that necessarily all the things of this world are, are evil and bad, but, but maybe there's something different that's supposed to be going on there. 
You see, Jesus is not saying here, as some pastors have said, that wealth is a bad thing. He's not saying that having resource is a bad thing or that you're an awful person or that, that you're forced to be poor in order to be Christian or any of those types of things. It's not the matter that you have resource or that you don't have resource that's, 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 that's the problem here. But what Jesus is talking about is not whether you have resource, but what you're doing with that resource, those resources that you've been given, whether that's as he says in the, in the parable of the talents, the one talent, the five talents, the 10 talents, the 85,000 talents, whatever you end up with. He's not saying that you've got to just, just be poor because it's the way of the kingdom of, of God is just that everyone has to be poor. But he's saying that maybe for the person who confesses that Jesus is Lord, maybe the aim of what they use their resource for, the purpose that the resource has been given by God for looks a little different than it does for just the average Joe who maybe doesn't confess the words that Jesus is Lord of all. Maybe it's supposed to look just a little bit different how we do things. Because here, here's the deal. Claiming that Jesus is Lord of all in our lives has to mean that even our resources the cars we buy, the houses we live in, the stuff we have, the accounts we keep, all this resource, all of it's meant to be an expression of the principles and the ways of God's kingdom being lived out in our world. All of it is meant to be an expression of that statement that Jesus is Lord, which has really been the expression of God's people throughout all of history. Jesus kind of makes this extremely clear that, that, that there is a difference between living our lives with a purpose of, 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 of investing in the things of maybe this world and, and, and constantly trying to prop up and, and increase our standard of living or increase to the next thing or get the new gadget or the next toy or whatever any of those things are and that, that maybe there's something different that we're supposed to be doing. As we get to the end of this passage, he, he's very blunt about it. No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and despise, you know, and, and love the other, or just be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he gets down to the, to, the, to the very, very plain Jane truth at the end of it. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, it's interesting to me that when, he said, when God says in Deuteronomy and in you know, Exodus and other places, do not murder, we take that very literally. When it comes to money, you cannot serve both God and money. We like to act like, yeah, well, Jesus was being a little like, like he was a little over the top there, right? Like there's a way to have my cake and eat it too on this, on this thing, right? Like I can, I can still, you know, serve the wealth accumulation of our day, the desires to get the more and the next and the bigger and the better and the, and the, the build my kingdom as well as kind of give to God whatever might be left over at the end of the day or give God, you know, whatever percentage we think that he should be able to give us. But what Jesus is getting at here is he says that it's really impossible to serve both those things. Not that you won't have stuff if you serve God, but that what's the primary focus of our lives? What's the primary focus of what we use our resources for? Are we really, is our primary focus to try to help ourselves or maybe even just those that are really close to us, you know, us, you know, us three, you know, our little family, our little group over here? Or are we trying to build God's kingdom through this? Are we trying to build what he has to, what he wants to do in our world and see our resource as something given by him to be able to build his kingdom 
over and above ours. See, Jesus knows it's impossible for us to serve both God and money or God and resources, God and stuff. Because the confession that Jesus is Lord of all doesn't allow for another idol to be erected. It doesn't allow for us to bow at the banks and the investment accounts and the thises and the thats of our world. So the question then becomes, now that we all feel you know, nice and convicted and awful about how we, you know, everything else in our world goes with resources and things like that, I'm, I'm in the boat even right now, what does it look like? What does it even look like to handle our resources Jesus' way? What type of guidelines, what type of ideas are there? What, and what, what does it look like to handle our resources in a way that expresses the kingdom of God? That's where I think this First Timothy passage really speaks boldly into our lives helps us to think about things maybe in a little bit of a different light. Paul, who writes the letter to Timothy, which is now known as 1 Timothy, starts off this passage and says, command those who are rich in this present world. I want to stop right there. Because there's a few of us that just heard that and went, well, good thing I'm not rich. Um, that's really good for me. If you got here this morning... Maybe you ate a little bit of breakfast, had a cup of coffee, got clothes on your body that are relatively okay right now. You're one of the top 5% of wage earners in the entire world. You are the rich in this world. I am the rich in this world. Maybe don't feel like it because we live in a part of this world where if you don't have a six-figure you know, salary or you know, the four-bed, three-bathroom McMansion house or anything else, like you're not the rich in this area, but we're all the rich in this world. We are. Almost every single person here is, is rich, the rich in this world. So when we hear this, there's not a lot of us that can sit there and go, well, <laughs> all right, thanks, Paul. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to like, listen to you or something. This is it. This is for us. We should perk our ears up at this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And some of you know the uncertainty of that wealth. Some of you know what it's been like to watch a stock market crash because of a bubble or another bubble or another bubble um, occur, and it burst, and you've seen stuff just go up in smoke right before your very eyes. Some of you have done things or put money into stuff that just felt like you were constantly putting good money after bad money after good money over and over again into things. But then Paul says, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, folks, what really is at the center of this is it's a matter of faith. Jesus later on, and we'll talk about this when we talk about our worries and our fears in a few weeks, but Jesus talks about how, how we are to look at the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and how they don't worry over where their next meal comes from or where their next, how they're going to get the next stuff or who's going to clothe them or any of these different things, that, that we aren't to worry about those things just like they don't worry about those things because the life of faith is a life of faith that God will provide those things. He'll provide those things as we need them, when we need them, and he'll, he'll be the one that does that work. Which means that as we look at our resources, we have to realize that it's a matter of faith to be able to put our hope in a God who will provide for us versus putting our hope in our own ability to be able to plan and take away all of the need to live by any faith. 
Paul, just like Jesus, seems to think that the people who have resources in this world, whether it's stuff or whether it's dollars and cents or whether it's dinero or whether it's whatever you have right now, Bitcoin, um, whatever you have right now, you, that you're to use them differently if we truly believe that God will is the provider who provides what we need, when we need it, how we need it. And so then he continues by saying, command them, remember that's us, the rich, he's talking to us again here, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, folks, I'm not going to tell you what you should do with your money or with your stuff or with your resources. That's not my job. What I am going to say is that the way of the kingdom of God is a way of giving and generosity towards others. Not just the people we think are cool, that we like, are our family or our friends, but it's a, it's a life of giving and generosity to all of our neighbors, the ones we agree with politically, <laughs> the ones we disagree with politically, the ones we think have it all together, and the ones we think <laughs> have a bunch of screws loose, which I fit in that category. Um, those people that we absolutely love more than anything else in the world, and those people that we absolutely cannot stand to spend more than two seconds with, all right? The way of the kingdom of God is a way of giving and of generosity. It's the, the way of the kingdom is about laying one's life down, one's stuff down, emptying of oneself fully and completely for God and for others. The word Christian quite literally means little Christ. I like the terms followers of Christ or disciples, which literally is just another term for follower. And as we realize that, then we realize that, that Jesus becomes then the, the person that we are to walk in the footsteps behind, that he has shown us a way and we are to walk behind in those footsteps of the one who has gone before us. And he is the one who has shown us what it really looks like to fully and completely lay down one's life. That'd been a good point for an amen. Um, he completely emptied himself for us in every way, shape, and form. This is, Jesus is, is, if we have good Trinitarian theology, good Trinity theology here, Jesus is the Yahweh of the Old Testament, right? Right? And so the Yahweh of the Old Testament, the Father that we talk about throughout all of the Old Testament, this Lord throughout the Old Testament who lives in the riches of heaven, has everything at his, at his disposal. He has the cattle on a thousand hills as the Psalms talk about. He has no need, no want, no nothing, empties himself completely and puts on flesh and becomes one of us. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of need. <laughs> Some days more than others. He empties himself of all the riches of heaven to enter into our world, to put on flesh, and then he doesn't even do it like as a king or a prince or anyone like special, but he comes as a homeless rabbi. A homeless rabbi from a backwaters town called Nazareth where people say nothing good comes out of Nazareth. 
He lived poor his entire life, showing us exactly what it looks like to live under the faith that God will provide what we need, when we need, and how we need it. And then he empties his life. The only thing really of substance he had on this world was his own life and breath. And he empties himself of that on a cross for the sins of the world so that there might be a way that is made for his people to come to him. And then this is beautiful. At least I think it is. You don't have to. But as Paul tells Timothy in this letter, he says that as the people of God are generous and giving, and as they do these things, as they empty themselves out, they lay down their stuff, their lives, their, they empty themselves of their riches and things for others. That he then says at the end of this passage that if we do that, then what we find on the other side of that emptying of oneself is we find life that is truly life. That's the story of Jesus, isn't it? empties himself on a cross of his entire life. The only thing he's really got at this point in time, he empties himself completely, is put into a grave, fully dead, and then three days later, resurrects to life that is truly life after emptying himself of all. That's beautiful and scary all at the same time. Jesus says it in the Gospel of John that he's come that we would know what life to the full looks like. Life that is truly life. So I'm not going to tell you what this means for you to do, and I'm not telling you today that you're supposed to drop a check in the offering plate with all of your life savings in there. I'm not telling you to do stupid stuff with your money, like give everything up and go live as a peasant somewhere. But what I'm saying is that I think maybe we should think about our resources in a way that how would we engage with our resources as an expression of God's kingdom and of Jesus' lordship? And maybe through that, find a life that is fuller, greater, and more joyful than we ever could have imagined. Maybe we don't end up with the next toy the way we, that we thought we would. Maybe we don't end up with the next Fortnite skin, my guys in the back who like to play Fortnite. All right. Maybe we don't end up with the, the next this, that, or the other. I know, this is tough. I know, it got serious. <laughs> but maybe we find something fuller, something more joyful, something more life-giving, something greater than we could have ever imagined through giving and generosity, through sharing and of laying down what we have for others. Our world, its financial advisors, even the Christian ones often will tell you that the goal really is accumulate wealth and stuff in order that you can feel safe and secure and then once you feel safe and secure, then you can start to give to others with the leftovers that you might have after it. It's called expendable income in economics language. There you go. All right. And that if you want to be generous, use your expendable income, but make sure you're safe and secure first. I don't know what this looks like for us, but all I know is that Jesus and his kingdom paints a different picture for us than that. It does. It paints a picture of extravagant generosity. It paints a picture of putting our resources into action to serve others. Maybe even at times before, we feel totally safe and secure. Because what I've found out is if we wait till we're safe and secure, you're never going to feel safe and secure enough. 
They give us a picture of where our engagement with our stuff starts to become an expression of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. A picture where we actually do find life that is truly life, both individually as we find joy in giving, but also as a people, as we start to meet each other's needs where there is a need, and we start to help each other out in places where there's help that's needed, and we start to give and give and give and be generous towards others. Jesus and his kingdom paint a picture where untold social ills, issues and concerns of our day, quite frankly, I believe, can be eradicated or greatly diminished if we simply would knock down the idols of our resources often erect in our lives and allow God to express his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven through our engagement with them. You might think that's hyperbole, but I don't believe it is. I've heard statistic after statistic that if Christians simply gave X amount of dollars more than the world poverty problem goes away, or people have food to eat, or that every orphan in America has a home to live in, or all these different things. And they're great statistics to see like, wow, that's really cool that we could do that. Someone should do that. (laughs) And I'm often convicted now, maybe I'm someone that should do that. So let me again give you a disclaimer. Not a fundraising sermon. I intentionally used kingdom language because while I sure hope that our church and God's kingdom often look very, very similar, God's kingdom is a whole lot bigger than our congregation. There are a whole lot of things in his kingdom worth giving to that our congregation, it's just you can't do it through there. But I think what Jesus paints a picture of our resources and letting him live as as Lord over those things is to say, Jesus, this is yours. All of this stuff, this house, these cars, step on a few toes here, these kids, they're yours. This money, this wealth, this stuff, it's yours, God. And so help me to use it as you would see fit to build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And when I say that you, many of you, do a mighty good job of being examples of this already. There are stories in this congregation that abound of people bringing in others into their houses to live with them for extended periods of time because they just know it's the right thing to do for someone who's in need. There are stories of people who have given a lot of money to people who are in need not through the church so they get tax credit for it, but simply wrote a check and said, don't even worry about paying me back. There's people that are here that when a certain memorial service that'll take place on Saturday showed up, they gave of their stuff, their money, their baking talents and other resources to try to work towards ministering to a family in need. You guys do a great job at this already. So I don't mean to hit you over the head with it, except for we often can pay all of our budgets. Man, some of my fundamentalist preacher friends are going to hate this. You can actually pay your 10% tithe and still not be giving your resources over to the Lordship of Jesus the way that he desires us to do it. Because if it's about hitting your 10% tithe or your 5% tithe or hitting a certain benchmark and yet you keep the control on the other 90, then you've only given 10% of lordship in that area to Jesus. 
Again, I'm not saying you can't have stuff. It's not for enjoyment. You can have stuff and enjoy them, but what's the aim of, this, of the use of the stuff that God's given you? That's enough to think about for one morning, amen? All right, everyone's like, just stop talking, Brian. Just get up, be done with it. <laughs> enough conviction for one morning. I'm done with it. All right, I don't wanna think about it anymore. All right, I get it, all right? So we're going to ask our worship team to start to make their way back up. And we're going to sing this, uh, well, actually, just our piano player and and, uh, vocalist are going to come up for us. And uh, we're going to sing a a simple old Gaither song. I refuse to call them hymns. Um, But um, that's just because it's Gaither. Um, But um, a simple old Gaither song that um, the words in this, my prayers as we sing this, this would be our prayers. But I want us to take in these words. Can you go with me just for a second here, Donna? All my tomorrows, all my past, Jesus is Lord of all. I've quit my struggles, contentment at last, Jesus is Lord of all. King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus is Lord of all. All my possessions, man, that word all just keeps coming up. And all my life, man, there it is again. Jesus is Lord of all. All my conflicts, thoughts, his love wins the battles I could not have fought. Jesus is Lord of all. That's good. Thank you, Donna. It's everything. It's all. So would you, after I'm going to pray for us, would you then, as you feel comfortable, pray these words through song with me as we close out our service this morning?